Well, it's so good to see you, uh, Providence, and uh, for all of you who call um, this your home, uh, welcome back, whether you're uh, here uh, in this room uh, or if you are over in uh, all the other venues or perhaps even at home, uh, welcome. We're really glad that you're here. You know, this has been a, a, a just a very encouraging week to me. Once a quarter, John Irwin, uh, he sort of assembles a... Um, uh, uh, a, a well, it's a it's a report is what it is, but it's um, but it's just a, a simple picture, basically, of the health of the church, and it just kind of shows uh, various vital signs that uh, that as 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 a staff, as elders, we look at and we think are important. And um, um, I'm just so encouraged. I'm so encouraged, uh, not just from that report because I knew what was what was there, but that your uh, your kindness, your investment, your sacrifice for people. Uh, your servant-heartedness uh, has been remarkable. How many of you serve with our children, with our students, and hospitality? Uh, your incredible generosity, your incredible support and trust and unity with each other. How you love one another so well, and uh, I am thankful. Um, it's been uh, an amazing uh, week, uh, just to be honest with you. I've been uh, sick, and so that wasn't so great, but I was very encouraged. And then on the way in... Uh, you know, for several weeks in a row now, actually for eight months, uh, we've we've been in this uh, venue and uh, sort of spread into several venues just to come and to worship the Lord. And uh, and this is the first day that it's rained. And on the way in, I'm driving on a Sunday in the rain, and 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 God just once again reminded me that in every place of the Bible except one, and that was a pretty bad one, it was called the flood, but, 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 but outside of that, and he, and he said, I won't ever do that again, uh, but he said, outside of that, every time that we see um, rain, it's an expression of the faithfulness and kindness of God that he would water the earth so that we could eat not only today, but tomorrow. So uh, I'm, just, uh, I'm just very encouraged uh, this day, and so uh, it is great to see you as a family. And if you're a guest with us, uh, we're grateful that you are here as well. And if you know Christ, uh, we pray that this time would, would uh, truly encourage you to grow and to love him even more. Uh, and if you don't know Christ, uh, we're thrilled that you are here. And we pray that this will be a time when you can learn more about who he is and what he has done on your behalf, on all of our behalf. It really is an amazing thing. We love the Bible here, and, uh, and so if you have one, if you want to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, um, we, uh, uh, in our um, uh, time, we're actually going to only cover one verse. It's chapter 4, verse 25. Uh, don't worry, I'll, I, I'll, I'll talk longer than it takes for me to read that one verse. And, um, <clears throat> but um, uh, but what, we, what we see over and over in, uh, in this book is a picture of Christ. And so if you have one, if you want to turn there, if you don't, there's lots of Bibles in the chairs near you. And then if you don't have one at home, please take that home as a gift. And so I want to pause and pray for our time. So if you would, Father, we uh, love you. We acknowledge you. And we thank you, God, for your kindness uh, that leads us not only to repentance, but your kindness that leads us to see um, your supremacy and your love and your mercy that's been poured out to us. I thank you for every person here and pray, God, that you would use this time to encourage, that you would give us belief, that you would give us conviction, understanding, and even courage to apply this to our life. And in particular, Father, as it deals with the issue of honesty and, and, and integrity, I, I pray, we pray, God, that you would root out 
dishonesty in our life. I pray, Father, for those in the room, those of us who, um, who sometimes struggle so much to get out of a hole of our lying. I pray, God, that you, you would rescue today through your word. So we look to you. Would you speak through weakness and help us to see the supremacy of Christ uh, in this text, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, you know, there, um, you know it seems this day, uh, this, this, this age of our own country and our own land, is it's hard to know who's telling the truth. Um, we hear lots of reports about a lot of different things, and it's really difficult to know. And it's because we just know that, that lying is, is just part of the fabric of our culture. Being deceptive, being underhanded, flattery, sometimes just flat out lying. The problem with all of this is, um, is, is that it's hard to know what's true and what's not true. And it seems to me that, that, that there's really only two ways for us as God's people, as believers, seeking to represent Christ. There's only two ways it seems to stand out in a world that's so full of lies. One way is to take our own deception to new um, um, levels of, of, of darkness, basically. Okay? And so you see people who have done this. People who were intelligent, some people who, 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 who had absolute gifts in certain areas, and yet because they allowed lying and cheating and, to, to, to take root in their heart, what we know them now as is, man, this is a liar, liar this is a cheater. And so you look at people such as Bernie Madoff, who stole billions of, pe- of, 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 of uh, dollars from various investors, lots of investors. He, he made it his life legacy. We will never think of him without thinking about lying again. Lance Armstrong, an amazing cyclist, uh, won cycling's um, um, one signature event seven years in a row. Uh, he, was, he, was, he was loved by our country and and, and throughout, and even years afterward, he was accused of lying and doping, cheating by taking drugs to enhance his own performance. And one after another, he became very abusive to people that would seek to, to bring things to light. And now all of a sudden, all seven of his titles were stripped. He was known as now as somebody who is the only one who has won it seven times and had all seven titles stripped because of his widespread cheating and lying. We'll never think of him again in the same way. Larry Nasser. Some of us following the news today or this week, you've seen a man who was, who was, uh, who was given a 175-year sentence in prison. He'll spend the rest of his life in jail. Over 20 years, he manipulated and exploited people. He lied to people about who he was and what he was doing. He gained trust and sexually assaulted Hundreds of young female athletes. We will never think of these people the same way again. Their name will always be associated with this. And so to, 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 to sort of stand out in a world full of lies, you can either do as they have done, and that is to take lying and deception to such depraved, obvious ways, or we can shine like a light in the darkness and be people who tell the truth. And nobody ever shone brighter in this world in this way than Jesus Christ. When Peter wanted to explain the sinlessness of Jesus, he says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22, he says, He committed no sin, 
and then to almost emphasize the, the amount of integrity and sinlessness that was in Jesus that's not in us. He says, and no deceit was found in his mouth. And so here Paul is in prison, and he's writing believers, many of whom he led to Christ, living in modern-day Turkey called Ephesus. And he wants more than, more than anything in the world for people in this world to be able to see Jesus Christ in all of his glory, to love him and worship him and be saved and forgiven of their sins. He wants more than anything for people in this world to see the integrity and truthfulness of the Son of God more than anything. And yet Jesus is in heaven and he knows that, but he also knows that Jesus' representatives are on the earth. People who've been called with a calling to represent him on this earth. And so what we find in Ephesians is three chapters where he's sharing with us, reminding the believers in the church about what the gospel is and what Christ has done within our heart. And then he turns a key and he says, in chapter four, verse one, he says, therefore I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. And knowing that integrity and truthfulness was absolutely a part of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, whom we're supposed to represent. He says to us in verse 25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. A simple verse, but before we jump into it, um, I want to answer a pretty common question that anytime you talk about lying, seems to pop up in the hearts of people, and it's this, is there ever a time when it's right to lie? It's an interesting question, isn't it? And some of you think, well, this is, this is a church, and he's a pastor, so he's going to say, no, there's never a time. What I can say is this, is it is absolutely possible for a person in the fear of the Lord and a walk of faith to feel constrained in life-threatening situations to oppose evil by lying. The reason I can say this of people is because we see it not only in history books, we also see it within the Bible. So let me give you two examples. During the Holocaust, there were people just like this family, the Sheffers. The Sheffers here, they're living in Holland. They are Dutch Reformed Christians They love Christ. They see the dignity of all human life written in the pages of Scripture, inscribed literally upon every single forehead and every single person in the world. And they know of a family in their village, a Jewish family, that is going to be hunted down, that is literally going to be captured and then killed. And so they made a choice, like many families at the time, to hide this Jewish family in secret walls of their house and in their rooms for two years. And during that time there in Holland, the police came to their home, it says at least two or three times, and they directly lied about having Jewish people living in their home. Was it right? Interesting question. What I can say is that people of faith in the fear of God in life-threatening situations felt constrained to oppose evil by not telling the truth. You see this also within Scripture. You see in the first chapter of Exodus, there's this really evil Pharaoh. Okay? He's the king of Egypt. 
And he wants to thin out the population of the Hebrews because he's seeing them as a threat. And so he tells the midwives that when you go to the home, when a Hebrew woman is about to have a baby, and when you receive that baby, before they can see, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill the baby. If it's a girl, let the baby live. And so they have a choice they have to make, life-threatening situations. And this is what the Bible says of them. In verse 17 of chapter 1, it says, And the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. Well, Pharaoh wasn't so happy about this. He finds out that not that they're necessarily doing something or not doing something, but that the babies are not being killed. And so he comes and he asks. And so they say this to him. He says, well, the Hebrew women, see, they're not like our women. They're vigorous. They push hard and fast, right? And they give birth before the midwife comes to them. So what they said is basically, look, your plan is that we need to make it look like a stillborn child coming out to the Hebrew mom. And so they tell him, well, this is what happens. They call us saying, hey, it's time. And before we get there, they've already had the baby. They're holding it. So we can't do anything about it. Well, that's not the truth. So how did God deal with them? Verse 21 says, because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. So he blesses them. Now, he doesn't bless, as it says, the lying. It says, because they feared God. And yet it was their deception that actually was the manifestation of saying, we can't do this, and so we have to say this. So as a pastor, it creates a real challenge to, are you giving me license to lie? What I can say is simply this is to acknowledge that in the fear of God and the walk of faith, worthy saints have chosen in time to oppose evil by concealing truth from wicked men. And having said that, let me shift our thoughts to the overwhelming biblical evidence and emphasis on God's hatred of lying. And let me remind us that all of us, with very few exceptions, have lied the majority of our life in non-life-threatening situations. Most of us, the reality is not Holocaust and it's not a Pharaoh. We have less noble means, reasons of why we do our lying. But let's look like, does God really abhor this? Well, Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 and 17 says, There are six things the Lord hates. And when he lines out the six, two of them are a lying tongue and a false witness who breathes out lies. You turn to the end of the book, and God is literally separating people between heaven and hell. Revelation 21, verses 7 and 8 says this, As for the faithless, the polluted, as for murderers, fornicators, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their lot shall be in the lake that burns with fire, which is a reference to hell. And so... We need to listen today to this verse, verse 25, as though something were at stake in our life because God hates lying. And we rarely, if ever, lied to save a life. And God looks at every single one of us. And in Romans chapter 3, he makes an evaluation of your heart, all of us, mine as well. And he says, all, that's you and me, have turned aside and they use their tongues to deceive 
In other words, we are all part of that liars group. So we have a problem, an internal problem that manifests itself through this little hole right here. And God has a solution. And I want to show you what this solution is. To do so, I need to remind you of what we looked at last week. If you weren't here, that's okay, because I'm going to remind us, okay? Verses 17 to 24 is literally the template or the key that shows us how God helps us change, how God helps us grow. So if you are in an addiction of anything, whether it's lust or pornography or lying or cheating or anything, chapter 4, verses 17 through 24 gives you the blueprint of how God is going to move in your heart in order to help you change. And what we saw there is three things. In verse 17, 18, and 19, we see that God exposes darkness in our hearts. You see, God does this so that we can receive healing from the inside out so that we don't end up like a sinkhole that maligns Jesus. What that means is this, is that we're going to see that what comes out of our mouth in deceit actually has a source that is deeper and darker within our heart. And if left there, if given a hospitable place within our heart, it literally will create within us patterns of behavior that raises the possibility that you publicly embarrass yourself and if you are a Christian, malign the name of Jesus Christ. It's a pattern that starts within the heart and it comes out the mouth. And so the first thing God does in our life is this. He, he always says, okay, you see the symptoms and they're significant and they're severe, but let's go deeper. Let's look at the source. The second thing we saw that he does in verse 20 and 21 is that God shines light into our hearts through Jesus. Nothing in Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 can be done without you first hearing Jesus' voice calling you to trust him and in the power of his spirit when you do. He doesn't even expect you to be able to do it. This is written to believers. The first thing that must take place is that Jesus must speak truth into your life and deliver you from the prison of deceit before you can do this. I'll show that in a minute. And then the third thing that we saw is this, is that God renews our imagination as we repent and obey. So you see there in verse 22, 23, and 24, it's almost as if once we have trusted Christ as Savior and Lord, we enter into Jesus' school of grace. And he looks at us when we enroll and he goes, so glad you're here. You're forgiven, you're saved, but you need to change clothes. And he uses this metaphor of taking things off. It's our old flesh, our old self, the old patterns of the old people that we used to be before Jesus. And then in verse 24, he says, now, I don't want you to run around naked. I want you to put some new clothes on. And it says that, that, the, that these clothes are what God creates in true righteousness and holiness. And so he gives us this metaphor to talk about repenting leaving sin and obeying God to put off and to put on. And then we looked at a very, very important verse, a really important verse, and it's verse 23. It's the bridge between those two. And there it says this. It says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. The spirit of your mind is your imagination. So with all this in mind, I want you to watch now how this passage, verse 25, just one verse, literally mirrors the pattern that we just worked through just in the arena of telling the truth, being truthful as people. Okay, And so it's almost like a case study. He's saying, now, let's apply this to the area of our tongue. 
So three areas, they're going to, if you just wrote that down, they're going to closely resemble that. Okay. The first thing that you see in verse 25 is that God exposes the darkness of deceit and he calls us to repent. He says, verse 25, therefore, having put away falsehood. Now you see falsehood, a hood. What is a hood? A hood is a place where literally a lot of people live and they associate with that one place. And so it's a representative home of many people. We use the same word neighborhood. If you are flying over and you live here, you notice that all the houses, they're a little similar, and yet all the houses are a little different. Each one of them, though, associates themselves with being in that neighborhood. They're all a little different, and yet they say, we're a part of this place. Now, I tell you that because when he says here falsehood, falsehood literally then is a home for many different kinds of behaviors, all of which fit into falsehood. Does this make sense? So he's not just talking about lying. What he's doing here is he's flipping on every light switch in the room in order to expose every deception in our heart. What behaviors is he talking about? Well, certainly it would include lying. Where when someone asks you, hey, were you there? I was there. And you say, no, I wasn't there. Where we lie, where we distort the the truth, where we say the opposite. But it goes farther than this. It can also be to give a false impression. Anyone ever done that? Give the impression that you're healthier or wiser or more godly than you actually are? That you live more of this amazing life? I mean, if we all believed everyone's online profile, I mean, we, we, we are one impressive people around here. The fact is, is we, we routinely give less than a full perception of really who we are. It would certainly include cheating. Cheating on a test at school or cheating in a game or cheating on your taxes. I think it could also include unkept promises where we say, I will do this. And then weeks and months pass. We have not done it. Have we lied? Well, no. We can always say, well, I haven't done it yet. I still will, though. That's not lying. But what it is, is it jeopardizes the integrity of your lips by not keeping a promise. How about to betray a confidence? Someone comes to us and they say, listen, there's something that's really near and dear to my heart. It's bothering me. I just, I want to, I want to confess my sin to somebody. And, and, and they do say, they say, now please don't tell anybody. Yeah, no, no problem. Well, if you go tell somebody, you may tell them the exact truth. This is exactly what they did. This is what they said. And you may be as precise as possible. And you say, I wasn't lying. And yet there is a whole behavior there that's mixed with falsehood because you gave the impression that you would hold that in confidence when you didn't. It could also include flattery. Flattery is when we speak the truth or when we lie to somebody about them in the hopes that they're going to think a certain way about us or they're going to give us stuff. And all these things, you see, are part of falsehood. So after telling us, notice in verse 22, to put off our old self, which is corrupted by deceitful desires, Paul tells us to put away falsehood. 
It's interesting, in the Greek, it's the exact same word. To put off and to put away, it's the exact same word. So what he's doing is this. In the arena of falsehood, of our speech, he's giving one case study of saying, falsehood is simply the very first set of behaviors I want to put before you of things that are incongruent with being a believer in Jesus Christ. Things that must go, things that we must repent of. Now, let's trace, though, this deceit inward in order to treat the source instead of just the symptom. There's a reason we lie that God cares about deeply, not just that we lie. So why do we do it? Well, if we look at verse 17, 18, and 19, and you see those words that we looked at last week, what he says here is this, is that when we're far from God, whether we're an unbeliever or maybe we're a Christian, but we're just far from God, we're just distant from him. What it says here is that that alienation from God, it creates within our own mind a darkness where we don't see everything like we should be seeing it. And when our mind is filled with darkness, it creates an ignorance about things that are true and things that are real, like God's presence in our life. And when we can't see those things, when our, when, when our mind is darkened because we're far from God, we're more susceptible to Satan's temptation. And how does he work? Jesus says in John 8, 44, he says he's the father of lies. When he speaks, he speaks his native language. In other words, Satan deceives us. And how he does it is he works on our desires. He knows that we want good ends. And so what he does is he makes sin look good. He tricks us. And because our mind is darkened, because we're far from God, we're more susceptible to what it says deceitful desires. In other words, we desire something because we think it's desirable and yet we've been lied to. It's really not desirable. Now let's look at a few case studies of this just to show you. You see within scripture, like in Acts chapter 5. In Acts chapter 5, Jesus has risen from the dead. People have seen him and believed in him. They're amazed and they are a church now. They come together. They're worshiping the Lord. And all of a sudden they look out and there's people in the congregation who has physical needs. And so there's two people, Ananias and Sapphira, man and wife. They are people of means. They have some land and say, you know what we should do? We should sell that land and give the proceeds to the apostles who can give it to the people so that they don't have these physical needs anymore. What a great idea. What a generous thing. So they go and sell it. Then they come and they give a portion of the proceeds, but they lie saying that we've given you everything that we sold it for. Now, here's the problem with this. Had they just told the truth, let's just say they sold it for $100 and they gave 80. Is that not still amazingly generous? They could have come and said, now, look, we we sold it for 100, but we have this, this, this little debt or a bill. And so we took 20 of it. We sent it there. But here's another 80. People would say, wow, that's still very generous that you would part with your things in order to give to other people. But what they had, they had a deceitful desire. Whether it was greed, where they wanted to keep some from themselves, or they wanted, for sure what they wanted is the people to think that they gave everything. So they both lied. Well, Peter looks at Ananias, and this is what he says. He says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Why has Satan got into your heart and tempted you with desires that you think are desirable, but they're really not? 
we see another example in Matthew chapter 21. This is one of my favorite ones. So this is what happens, right? Jesus has just come into Jerusalem for the third time. He's come to die. He's come on a donkey, Palm Sunday. Everybody's celebrating. He goes to the temple. He sees they're selling all kinds of stuff. And so he starts overturning things. Well, the next morning, the chief priests and the scribes, they walk up to Jesus and they say, by whose authority are you doing these things? In other words, did God send you to do this or are you just flying solo and kind of doing what you want? And instead of answering the question, Jesus asked them a question in order to test their heart. He said, well, let me ask you something first. John the Baptist's baptism, his ministry, who gave him the authority? In other words, did John come because he was sent from God or was John riding solo? And this is what happens. Says, they go, wow, that, that's a good question. We'll be back. And so they, so, so they come over like a little huddle. And they're like, okay, so what are we going to say? And this is the making of a lie. They're like, all right, well, look, um, if we say it's from God, uh, none of us were baptized by John. We all thought he was a freak. We all made fun of him. So if we say it's from God, we're going to be proven wrong in front of all these people. We can't do that. And then someone else says, but wait a minute. If we say, I mean, there's only two options. Either is or isn't. If we say he's not from God, well, all the people here, they all think he was from God. They may hurt us physically. And so they come back and they say, um, we don't know. And Jesus, who's in total control, he goes, well, then I'm not going to tell you either. It's an amazing thing. But what I want you to see is simply this, is that when we lie, there are always reasons that are deeper and darker than our lie itself. When you lie, there is literally breadcrumbs going back to the heart of worse scenarios, of worse condition than whatever it is that you're saying or not saying. And so providence with application, let's remain fiercely inhospitable to any known falsehood. I love that Paul commends these believers. That's why he says, having put away falsehood, he knows they're doing it. He's acknowledging, look, I, I see it. I see that when you lie, you, 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 you confess it. And I see you telling the truth. I, I see you doing these things. And I simply urge you to excel still more. You see, Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24 says, God, would you search me and see if there's any grievous way in me? And so if you ask God to search your heart and you see within your life any trace of deceit lounging on the couch of your life, I want to encourage you first, trace it to its source and then throw it all out the door. Confess it and repent of it. Take off those clothes that will ruin your life and that will potentially malign the reputation the glory of our Savior, Jesus. So God exposes the darkness of deceit and calls us to repent. The second thing is this, is that God unveils the truthfulness of Jesus and he calls us to obey. He says, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. And you have to ask the question, well, how is this possible? If we're constantly being lied to by Satan with desires that are not desirable, how are we gonna ever get out from that trap and the answer is God must act, which is exactly what God did. He sent his son to the earth. 
Jesus Christ, when he was on the earth, he looked out and he says, I want you to know something. I am the way and the truth and the life. This is what Paul means when he writes in verse 20 and 21. That's not the way you learn Christ, for the truth is in Christ. You see, Jesus never lied, and yet after dying on a cross for our sin and our lying and rising from the dead, he invited us to believe in him. And if we do believe in him, it says that he will forgive us of our sin. He'll give us his righteousness, but he says he'll also fill us with his spirit. And in John chapter 16, verse 13, Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the spirit of truth. So when we trust Jesus Christ, we see the perfect picture of a trustworthy person. And when we trust him, he sends his spirit to live within us in order to convict us when we are not trustworthy, truthful people. See, friends, what I want you to see is it is the voice of Jesus and it's the story of Jesus that can guide us out of the prison of deceit. I used this illustration last week, but if you're in a prison called the seat and you keep trying to escape and you keep finding locked doors, you keep getting trapped again and again and again, there's one escape route. And the only way to escape is literally to hear through the intercom a voice speaking to you, 30 feet, turn left. And that person is Jesus Christ. If you hear my voice, but you do not hear his voice through my voice or through this word today saying, trust in in me, I want you to know that you have absolutely no resource within yourself to pull this off. You can try, but the problem is instead of loving the truth, you'll simply try telling the truth. I want to show you why that's not going to work. You see, Jesus, he never lied, and yet what we find is that when we expose ourselves to the voice of Jesus, in particular in the stories of Jesus, we keep finding liars and manipulators and deceivers engaging with Jesus. And what we find is that they see in Jesus a superior pleasure, a superior promise in person to the place to where they go, man, I want to part with this in order to receive this, in order to receive Jesus. And so as God intervenes in their lives, Jesus keeps speaking hope into ours. Let me show you the, 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 the expulsive power of a superior pleasure. That's what we're really talking about here, okay? Is, is, so years ago, my second son, his name is Caleb. He was just a little bitty guy. We were in a house, um, and, 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 uh, and he couldn't see over the counter in the kitchen. I was in there, and he just reaches up on the counter, and he, and he just happens to grab, literally, the handle of a, one of those big knives, you know? He's just holding it. He, and I look at him, I think, this is not a good idea. And so I walk toward him. Well, he thinks, hey, dad, dad wants to play chase. And so he starts running with the knife, right? And so I'm like, no, you know, we can't do this. He thinks this is fun, and he thinks this is something that's of value. And so I look over, and on the counter, there's a little baby Snickers bar. And I pick it up, and I said, son. And he stops, and he goes, I'll trade you. And at that moment, right, he found an expulsive power. I don't want to hold on to this knife anymore if I get that. It's the same thing with Jesus, and you're lying. When you see in Jesus a beauty of integrity, of being trustworthy, of being truthful, and you see in him superior promises, 
It says, when you are trustworthy, this is what I'll do in your life. This is what I'll protect in your life. It has an expulsive power in our own deceit to say, I don't want to do this anymore. And so application, let's keep one eye on Jesus as we speak the truth. What do I mean by this? Well, what I mean is this, is that every single one of us, we're living in real life situations that we're looking at. And so as we're looking at real life situations, trying to figure out what to say, I want to encourage you to keep one eye on Jesus. As you're looking at your work situation, wondering if you should lie, see Jesus, see his truthfulness, his integrity, his justice, see his face, see his pleasure in you. See his ability to listen to all of your conversations. See his ability to deliver people who tell the truth. And parents, I want you to know that it's really important for us to teach our kids in the same way. You see, most of us as parents, we've taught our kids how not to lie. And how we do it is this. We say things like, you're a frost. They're going to think low of us. You're better than that. Or if you lie, you may get in trouble. Or if you lie, people won't trust you so much. All of which motivate telling the truth, but none of which motivate loving the truth. What we want as people is this. If we love the truth, we will tell the truth because our love is found in the heart. See, if our heart is filled with with Jesus' voice in the story, our words will be filled with truthfulness. Or another shorter way to say it is this. A heart full of Jesus has no room for deceit. Do you see today in Jesus a superior promise and pleasure? If you do, you have power this afternoon not to lie. Not to flatter, not to manipulate, not to break your promises. Not to malign the name of Jesus whom we represent. Third and last thing is this, is that God renews our minds with the benefits of honesty. The benefits of honesty. You remember the bridge in verse 23 between putting off and putting on. This is so practical and so important right now. I hope you'll listen. He says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. I said earlier that the spirit of our mind is our imagination. So how this works is this. God comes to us and he says, don't lie. Okay, so let's just apply it to our taxes, right? Don't cheat on your taxes. And then you get tempted. It's time to fill it out. And you look at receipts. You're like, well, that's not really business expense, but it's close. I could probably throw that one in there. Or I could just flat out just say, yeah, I gave this much money and I just didn't. We can all lie on our taxes. When you get tempted, the outcome will depend on your imagination. See, if you and I vividly imagine right, enjoying a vacation like this one, that's purchased from your falsified tax return, there's a possibility that you may. You may say, wait a minute, man, if I could imagine being there for a week or, you know, the value of integrity, you know, I mean, it's just a little lie, you know, it's just an extra zero or, you know. There's a possibility that you may lie. If, however, you vividly imagine Christ being maligned, there's a possibility, a strong possibility that you won't. See, whatever captures our imagination will govern our behavior. And so what he tells us, he says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Literally, place yourself under the waterfall. I talked about this last week. It's like a shower. You turn the shower head on. It has power to cleanse you, except if you're not under it, all the water goes down the drain. 
It's the same thing with the Lord. He says, be renewed. Literally, position yourself to where God can renew the imagination of your mind when it comes to telling the truth. You may not know this, but you've already done that today. You've sat now for 34 minutes, 35 minutes, and you've heard me talk and the word of Christ's superior promises to you, how he's better than lying. Right? And if you, you and I will vividly imagine this, it will literally change our life. But what I want you to see, we're almost done, is this. I want you to notice what Paul gives our imagination to think about as incentive of why we should tell the truth. The last phrase of verse 25 says, for or because we are members one of another. He says, we're a body. We're interconnected. And have you ever noticed how you believe every part of your body? You, 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 you assume it's not lying to you, which is why when you're on a mountain road and your eyes see a left turn, you turn left instead of right. But just imagine what would happen if your eyes lied to you. You drive off the side of the mountain. Have you ever thought about the fact that you and I, we are, we are I mean, absolute students of our pain indicators in our body. And we just assume our body's not lying to us, which is why you will literally inject a chemical into your mouth in order to deal with a headache you're convinced you have. Why? Because you believe the parts of the body. And what Paul is saying is this, we're a body. And how we interact with one another can't be different. When someone says they have a pain, we all have to believe it unless they keep lying about their pain. So what he's saying is how in the world can we love one another and pray for one another, trust one another if we're lying to one another? The incentive is what could take place in a body if we all told the truth? Imagine how powerful our witness would be in the world if we all told the truth. Imagine how centralized we would be in terms of the mission that God has given us if we didn't have to worry, if we didn't have to remember what we said because we just always told the truth. And this is what he's saying. And so application, let's imagine Jesus being glorified in the honesty of our interactions. Let's imagine Jesus, when you're having your conversations, imagine him being glorified in the honesty of your interaction. This will stir the imagination of your mind. When tempted, the outcome is going to depend on your imagination. And if we vividly imagine the gain from our lying, we may do so and hurt the body, hurt us, and even malign Christ. But if we would imagine God's observance of every single conversation and God's glory, Jesus' glory in this church, and we would vividly imagine our trust and love for one another growing up, we would lightly tell the truth because whatever captures our imagination will govern our behavior. So Providence, I encourage you. First of all, for those of you who have never heard Christ say, trust me, he's speaking to you today. Trust him, believe in him. If you will, he will forgive you of all of your sin. And then once you know Christ, tell the truth. And when you don't, confess your sin. Repent of it. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus and let's be honest with one another. Let's keep imagining and then help other people in our life, in our body, imagine the blessings of integrity in the face of deceptive desires. We can do this. And we can do this because Jesus Christ is with us. We've heard him. We've seen him. His spirit lives within us. So let's walk as men and women, boys and girls, 
of truthfulness. So let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your amazing kindness to us. We thank you, Father, that you reveal to us not only where we have struggles, but why we have these struggles. And God, I pray that you would deliver us this week from these deceptive desires. I pray, Father, that you would help us to see and imagine the value of telling the truth in every situation. I pray, Father, that you would give us wisdom, even as we go through challenging situations in a fallen world, maybe even life-threatening situations. Would you govern our behavior by your Spirit? God, I pray, Lord, that our life would glorify you and that we would represent you and your integrity and your truthfulness in the way that we talk and live with one another. So God, I now pray that as we worship you, not only in our giving, but our singing, pray, Father, that you would encourage our hearts, pray that you would help us to speak the truth to one another, to imagine, imagine the day when we will stand before you face to face and see you. Imagine the day when all of our sin is taken away. Help us to imagine that to the place to where we give you our life and help other people to see and love Christ, the Savior and Lord. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.